for May 16th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 724. Head Spike Plus. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Your overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're going out in the world and doing lots of things, like seeing the latest Marvel movie. Nothing makes us happier. And in the... the Literally nothing else. Literally nothing. Not No no spiritual revelation, no uh, accomplishment of you know professional or personal growth, no uh, relationship, no family, no nothing makes us happier. The birth of my firstborn child holds nothing. No candle to the cinematic uh, experience. Thor 2, The Dark World. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that is, that is not the case. In fact, we did not see the latest Marvel movie. We didn't, nope. we didn't get to see Doctor Strange. And who is your panel who didn't see Doctor Strange? Why, I'm Matt Rather. Uh, my companions in the multiverse are Mr. Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And, uh, Mark Lee. How are you? Great. It's it's good to have you back. It's, I'm glad we're back in this universe, not the one where uh, Blinky and I had to hold down the fort all by ourselves. Well, it was great. I, well, I listened to it. I started it while I was traveling. Um, I, you see, I was traveling and I, I uh, started the podcast. I was really enjoying it. And then I was talking with you guys on Slack and you said, hey, hold off if you want to see the movie because there's spoilers in it. And it, you know, you, you might enjoy the movie more without it. So I'm like 15 minutes into the podcast. I was, re- I was enjoying listening to you guys. It's, uh, you know, it's really a pleasure <laughs> listening to the overthinking of podcast when oh, you don't, when you don't have to record it yourself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, uh, I appreciated that, but no, this is, a uh this is a multiverse so i i uh went on a business trip and and uh got covid um i uh am you know very lucky mild mild symptoms the, the availability of treatments and vaccines and all kinds of things i'm not doing not doing too bad honestly all things considered but i can't go to a movie theater uh you know not certainly not in any kind of socially responsible way and so I'm not going to do that um so uh you know i stayed home and I, I gather for one reason and another uh y'all didn't see dr strange in the multiverse of madness either so uh let's talk let's talk about how i spent my weekend how i spent uh <laughs> strange con no, no the strange you know the festival of strange um, I, I, if you didn't get you some strange, what did you get? <laughs> instead of, Aside from COVID. Instead COVID, the- Matt. I got COVID. <laughs> you got COVID. I got COVID. Oh, Mark got to go oh. see a cool other movie that wasn't Dr. Strange. <laughs> yep, yep, that's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> to my knowledge, I have not had it, just to be clear, right? Might have had it. And no, Matt, Mark, please don't get COVID FOMO. That is not <laughs> – don't worry no, about yeah. it. Have yeah, Marvel have Marvel FOMO. Yes, yes, right? yes. Like exactly. don't don't have COVID FOMO. You're not you're not missing anything. Worry that you haven't gotten through Moon Knight. Don't worry that your T cells <laughs> haven't memorized the latest like plague. <laughs> so don't worry about oh. it. <laughs> oh, you guys. Oh, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're both uh, healthy and well enough uh, to be back here recording. Thanks, appreciate um, it. Hearing your um, your dulcet tones, uh, mostly unencumbered. 
by the viral infections, which you are, uh, as we speak, expunging from your bodies. Expunging. Oh. Get off my plane. <laughs> <laughs> of <People>. the multiverse. <laughs> so this is a podcast where uh, in, in this in this universe, in the multiverse, the Doctor Strange movie didn't come out. Um, Pete, why don't, why don't we start with you? What did you do instead of uh, oh, instead man. of going to? D- oh man. <laughs> Strap in, put on, put on your cape. <laughs> oh man! Well, I will say that I have not had much endurance for much in the past two weeks. But then today, now that my uh, you know isolation time has been running out, and I've been able to go outdoors uh, and do stuff, we went to a touch a truck, Matt. This is something I think this is a scene in the Doctor Strange movie where Doctor Strange is like, "Huh, peculiar. A large truck. That's really wonderful. That's great. I want to touch it." Fire truck, fire truck. This is something from previous podcast, <laughs> I believe, which is that uh, small children, right? They love uh, some. A lot of them, for some reason, love large vehicles, large big things. Uh, one of the funny things that my son does is uh, he does a big voice, like as in when he wants to describe something as big, he goes, "Does big, big truck, big <laughs> lion, big spider up the water spout, big," and he gets like his like throat opens and his cheeks get all puffy. And he goes, "Big," um, and then it's so small. But um, but yes, a touch of truck is, is an event geared toward the parents of toddlers and toddlers, wherein they park a bunch of large trucks, uh, usually a combination of construction equipment, public service vehicles like garbage trucks, buses, you know, school buses, certainly fire trucks. If you're at a touch of truck and there's no fire truck, you have been robbed. That is, you have been misled horribly because the fire truck is the bell of the ball. And uh, that's what everyone wants to see. This was a good one. There were steamrollers. There were front loaders. There was bulldozers. There was this weird hybrid Air Force vehicle that had been converted into a combine harvester. Uh, And, yeah, there was totally, like, a guy who did that who thought this was a car show and, like, brings them around and wants people to ask about his stuff, I'm sure. But but this involved me in a parking lot about half an hour from my house running after my son who was constantly going, like – Oh, big truck, big tractor, tractor, just like running over to it, going up to the wheel and just like touching the wheel and saying, big, big, (laughs) big wheel, big wheel, truck, truck, dump truck, dump truck, front loader, front loader, front loader. (laughs) Can we we talk more about the the former Air Force vehicle turned combine harvester? Because it just occurred to me that um, um, someone has literally beat a sword into a plowshare. No. (laughs) <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> Delightful. I absolutely love that. Yes, it it was covered in paint, so there was still the faint stencil lettering of the Air Force designations on the side of this vehicle. They didn't paint over it entirely, but just imagine that it has sort of a snorkel connected to it, and then a big, almost like a snowplow scoop, yep. uh, and and then just like blades, right? That would spit. <laughs> It's not on. These things aren't on, right? They're not driving them around. Although they did make one. If Okay. I know we made a bunch of, of suggestions about how to make the American Song Contest better on our YouTube channel. And I think we can address that uh, 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 later. But I will say that if I were to make any suggestions about how to improve your touch of truck, uh, do not I- enable or activate the horns on multiple vehicles at the same time. Because <laughs> like a lot of this is the kids go up into the trucks and they sit in the truck. And so when a lot of the trucks are in the same area and the kids are hitting the horns and it's fun if you one horn works, right? It's like, oh, the kid gets to honk the horn. That's great. But if you're out in this parking lot surrounded by like 20 or 30 trucks and there's just 15 horns that are constantly going, it becomes like a cacophonous nightmare. So I really don't recommend it, especially if there's a little there's this little train thing 
Guys, this is the this is the racket, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things, but let me tell you, this is the racket. Uh, it's a little train that by which I mean it is shaped like a train. It has cars that are attached to a front vehicle that goes, but appears to be powered by either internal combustion or electric engine. I'm not sure which. Uh, and uh, it just rides around in like a loop around the public event that you're at. And you can get on it for $5 and you ride it for maybe like five minutes. Um, and the kids absolutely love it. And they totally want to, you know, the, the bell rings, the guy driving it's in a conductor outfit. It looks like an old fashioned, you know, kind of primary colors adjusted locomotive, right. From some sort of, you know, bootleg Thomas that never happened. And, uh, Thomas from the yeah. multiverse. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is, this is, uh. Uh, Tang the Conqueror, right? Is the, <laughs> is the Thomas the Tank Engine? Is that the? Is there? I didn't see Doctor Strange yet, but is there an alternate reality in which the uh, the Lord High Primarch, you know, despot of all of creation, is Thomas the Tank Engine? Because uh, it seems like that is just mathematically necessary, right? Like there has to be a universe in which Thomas the Tank Engine is the Lord High despot of all things, if there are an infinite number of universes, right? Like uh, certainly he would be very useful in such a role. Um, but anyway, I digress. I went to a touch a truck. We touched a lot of trucks. Some of them were weird. Some of them were less weird. None of you guys have seen these things because you aren't. Well, I guess, Matt, you don't have a toddler and Mark, you don't live in a place with like big parking lots. So where like That's these correct, things are yes. cheap to put on. I have the children, but uh, not so much the open space. And also the garbage trucks, right? Like you have garbage trucks, you have fire trucks. Like there are big trucks, I would guess, that are in your neighborhood. Big trucks. Big uh, Yes, yeah, too too many. Uh, I would yeah, say, yeah. given the number of sirens that I hear um, on a regular basis. See, and that's the same idea, right? It's like that shouldn't be happening in a neighborhood either. Exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly, exactly. So I so, rationing these sort of things, planning. I know. Them. Instead, we have this like free and open society where anybody can honk their horn whenever they want. Yeah, that is definitely one of my like pet peeves. Is just the idea that just the the unlivability of living around sirens. <laughs> like like the the it's just awful it's yeah. absolutely awful it's such a huge diminishment yeah. in your quality of life I, I i don't have the science to back this up but i'm pretty sure that the like arms race between making sirens like louder and shriller and harder to ignore has not resulted in a sufficient performance from emergency services to justify the drastic diminishment of quality of life of the people who live no they're no they're there to uh, pad the budgets of uh, public safety government agencies pete that's really kind of what can we just put like sheepskin pelts on the seats or something? Can't we like, does it have to be a siren? Why does that mean something that bothers everybody else? Maybe they could just get a DVD player. Like, look, yo man, we know you like driving around garbage trucks. So we put a garbage truck inside your garbage truck. I, that doesn't sound fun at all. I'll come up with something better. I have COVID. I'm sorry. I'm it is, <laughs> I mean, it is true. There is an irony in, in the kind of the disjunction between kids delight in making loud noises in being the cause of loud noises and their tolerance for a lot of loud yes. noise, you know, <laughs> Yes. yes. It has to do with asserting your existence and or having your existence like threatened or subsumed. Right. Right. Like, What's right that? That's the, the yeah, exactly. That's the, the the Angelina Jolie had tattooed on her body, I think, like quad me nutriate d- destroy it. That which nourishes me destroys me as well. 
<laughs> and I feel the same way for like a, an air horn or like a fire engine honk. You know? that I'm horn. sure that's what she was thinking about was air horns, right? <laughs> that, right, exactly. Bow, that, bow, bow, bow. <laughs> that, that, that truck horn, which nourishes me, destroys me. Pete, I want to talk to, uh, I, I want to talk about the touch of truck, uh, from the perspective of, of ideology and, uh, you know, uh, late capitalist indoctrination. Is that all right? Right, because you didn't take your. Is I mean, it, it's all right that you want to do that. Like, <laughs> well, it's a now, free country still. now I will. People haven't taken over yet. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now I will commence to do it and okay. uh, and uh, see if it remains. See if it remains all right. Um, yep. Now, in a in a uh, in a pre-industrial ag- agrarian world, they had petting zoos, and we don't have those any. But that's that's a that's a touch of sheep. It's not a touch yes. of shrek. It's a touch of sheep. And yes. now in our, in our, uh, Wait, mad- wasn't it just called the, the, your front yard? <laughs> right. Exactly. You had the <laughs> industrial society, right? You had yeah. the, the front yard. You, you had a pet, you had a petting zoo, right? Um, actually this, this is, it's, it's interesting. I'm being, I was going to, to make an elaborate joke, but actually it might be interesting to go into, uh, to go into exactly what Mark is talking about in a, in an actual pre-industrial society. It was, it was your, your front yard at the rise of the petting zoo meant there was no front yard with, you know, farm animals in it anymore, at least not for the vast majority of people. And so you had to kind of create this, you had to create this sort of, you know, Potemkin farm. Uh, you know, in the, in, in the form of a, a guy who comes in a, I don't know, in a five ton, like in a, in like a, uh, 20 foot box truck with a bunch of animals in it or something like that. And, uh, you know, spread straw down and, and, uh, salt licks and stuff. What and, are you, what, what phenomenon are you describing? Like, is that a thing that, is that how it works? Wait. Yeah. 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 Uh, back, back the truck. <laughs> the, the petting zoo is brought in like in a package like that. Yeah, haven't is you ever? Is this, is this haven't you is ever this what gone to on the bleeding edge? Haven't you ever gone to like a county fair or something like that? Like the the the, the zoo, the animals don't live oh. at the fairground. Oh, okay, 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 yeah, okay. No, yeah. when I go to petting zoos, it's at like either farms that you know do this sort of thing where it's like, well, we could operate and selling industrial uh, agricultural commodities, but like you know, we make more money with you paying to pick our apples for us, right? Like that kind of which we've already done a podcast about, so we're not going to road again. Like, you know, just sort of local farms that do local business or, you know, nature preservation areas in New Jersey where it's like anything alive, don't kill it. (laughs) Like put some chain link fence around it and like hope it doesn't die. Right. Because New Jersey, all of wildlife has been destroyed. um, And it is just it is just uh, the husks of old tower records as far as the eye can see. That's not entirely accurate, uh, but the but the wildlife preservation areas in New Jersey had a very different feel than the farms that I've been to. Those are farm zoos up here in Massachusetts. Um, but yeah, but you're saying like a county fair or a sort of mobile a mobile petting zoo, yeah, or a fa- you know a, a church picnic or something like the church fundraiser okay. or something like that, sure, where they sure, will bring sure. in you know bring in like carnival rides and among yeah. you know among the attractions. I'm trying to think of something that's equivalent to the to the touch a truck, which which by the way the 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 touch a truck survives for adult men in the, in the form of the car show, uh, yes, and that's yes, yes. you know it's a it's it's a it's and a fancy. Women, women can go to car shows. And also can non-binary people. All genders can go to car shows if they want. Cars and coffee, all that stuff, as far as I know. I mean, can, may, you know, I don't know if that's certainly always feel welcome. But, uh, but I mean, I just want to say, like... I have no idea what the gender disparity is. It's yeah, uh, you know what? Well, I've 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 been uh, I've been around, and just like there are no farms anymore, 
there, there, there. I've been to a lot of car shows. There, there are no women at any car shows ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that was going to be my joke. Now there are no no petting zoos anymore. It's all no. touch of trucks. It's all they've robots. All, they've all been exactly. re- they've all been it's replaced. Like but just as the 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 existence of the petting zoo means we don't live in a pre-industrial agrarian, uh, you know, uh, communitarian right. paradise. Uh, we take a child to the to hangings. Right. To watch the, the heads of ne'er do wells be put on spikes. Right. Yes, which exactly. which means we that, don't. That was live... the original streaming service. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Head spike plus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you got to pony up for head spike without commercials, right? Because when the uh, when the head starts talking and says, "I'd like to tell you about HelloFresh," with my, you know, uh, it's just not a you know not the same experience. So, like that, I I think the fact that that the the kids like uh, the, the fact that we're going to do like a touch a truck thing means we live now in sort of a we live in a in a post-industrial economy i think you know right in the in the united yeah, states right. and and yeah. soon like no, in, knowledge workers take their uh, children to the touch a truck because exactly. the yeah. knowledge worker does not operate a truck and i think that for, when you know soon we'll have we'll have a situation where the uh uh where our our children will take their children uh, you know or uh, will be born on a you know on a wave of nanobots or something like that uh I'll touch a podcast yeah exactly podcasters yeah exactly. touch a, touch a computer <laughs> to actually feel uh this this switch on a on a mechanical keyboard or right or uh or something like that. I yeah, don't know. They're, they're going to go to historical a historical reenactment village to see someone artisanally craft computer code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Code right, like Colonial Williamsburg, right? You know, yeah. next to the next to the butter churner. There yeah, exactly. Colonial Williamsburg <laughs> through the ages. This is the butter churner age. This is this is the co-working space age. <laughs> he just Man. he walked through a Disney style diorama of little animatronic figures getting kombucha out of a tap. <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> I mean, just just to be clear, right? There's plenty of talk of knowledge workers, you know, all up and down the scale, eventually being automated out of existence, including computer programmers, right? As eventually, you know, we approach the singularity and the computers uh, learn how to write the code themselves. Yeah. Oh, this oh, is the thing, right? Hundred percent. I think it's the, yeah. I think it's because human, uh, because um, computer programmers have been kind of the the instrumental, uh, you know, job that that um, ruins everyone else's livelihood. Uh, we think for some reason that our livelihood is not uh, not going to be not going to be ruined but uh no man like uh just take those te- man take those ill-gotten tech giant gains and and i don't know put it into gold bullion or into like what <laughs> what the- trejo nfts is that you're pitching <laughs> yeah. now good timing on that one. Oh, geez oh <laughs> gosh <laughs> Gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know, Pete. I, I just wanted to say that the the kind of the social dynamics of the touch a truck are are interesting to me beyond, you know, the fact that that trucks are awesome and it's wonderful if your son likes them. Yeah, I will add the an interesting social dynamic that I'll further add that's worth considering is the dynamic of a multi group hangout in the age of parallel play. And Mark, you might have experienced this as well, which is like. Our family's going with our kid. 
there were two other families that were going with their kids. All these kids are friends, right? Like if you were to ask the kids about each other, they don't have like a ton of command of language, but they would like recognize each other. Like they would mention the other names with fondness and refer to like memories that they had of like hanging out with the other kid, right? Like, oh, we're going to go see this kid. Oh, that's great. You know, last time I saw them, you know, we we went on the swing. So that was awesome, right? All this other stuff. And then you get there and they like barely acknowledge each other. And then they just go off and enjoy whatever you're doing entirely separately, right? And it's like here – at least that was my experience at the Touch and Truck, which is like our family went one direction. Then the other two families went in different directions. And then they came together at the end, and the kids kind of like sort of acknowledge each other again. And then we went home. And it was sort of like every kid – because at this stage of development, the kids don't really play with each other. They play in parallel to each other. They, like, watch what the other kids are doing, and they imitate it, right? But you don't get that back and forth that is very easily recognizable by an adult as play. But it's still something that's happening that's helping them develop and helping them socialize, right? So it's sort of like um, – I mean, what it would it would sort of be like if every if we all went to a baseball game and then we like each got a scorecard and we just sat next to each other, each scoring the game and like never talked. Right. Like or like talked out loud about our scorecard, but not to each other. It's just this very different sort of way that human beings relate to each other. Um, And when the thing that you're doing is something so simple as like walking up next to a fire truck, waiting your turn to like briefly sit in the chair and then say you don't want to do it after you've been waiting for 15 minutes to do it. Like this is like it's like each of the kids is doing this totally separately and they're all good friends and they'll all finally remember that they all did it together. Right. So like it's 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 all there's a lot going on in these places. That's uh, that's all I'm Wait, saying. Was that your son who uh, uh, refused the opportunity to sit in the fire truck seat? Oh, no, no, no. He did. But he wanted to. It, it was a rule. Of, I mean. I'm, I'm eliding a bunch of different degrees of that experience where he was like very excited to sit in the chair and or like didn't want to do it at all and or like would get put in and would immediately want to leave. Right. And uh, and it was there was no telling. It was not related to how much anticipation he had to sit in the chair. Um, right. Yeah. The school bus. He did not like being inside the school bus, though. He listens to songs about school buses all the freaking time, uh, mostly about their wheels going round and round. I think you're familiar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why he, he, he missed out. He missed out on the um, on the hanging head spike. Time. Yes, head spike right. plus. He would he would have you just you know in, been in rapt attention had you brought him out to one of those events. Uh, <laughs> I, it's funny because I did try to give him a mask now that he's over two and it had Goku on it and he said angry. He's like confused. <laughs> he's confused as to why the face on the mask is angry and he didn't want to wear it. Huh. So he's a better man than I. Probably happier too. So anyway, well, that's Mark, what, what we hope. Yeah, that's what we hope for for our for <laughs> the true. next generation. Yeah, we Mark, want what our kids you... to not understand the violence of Dragon Ball because their world is bereft of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did you uh, What did you do, Mark, with your uh, your time off from uh, from the multiverse? Uh, let's see here. I'm just gonna pick. Uh, okay, I'll talk about the little shop of hearts thing. Right. So, I mean, this is not. It really doesn't have has nothing to do with uh, you know the great COVID nineteen pandemic or. Um, or anything like that. It really, it's you know, because um, it's difficult for me to get out to the theater because of the of the small children. And there's a lot of time spent at home watching um, uh, various things on streaming services, right? You know, uh, be it Head Spike Plus or anything else beyond that. Um, and I stumbled across on YouTube. Can we call YouTube a streaming service? It's not not a streaming service. Um, I stumbled across on YouTube a delightful. Um, recorded concert by the current cast of the Broadway musical, off-Broadway musical, Little Shop of Horrors. Um, and uh, I think everybody on this podcast has you know, varying 
um, direct and indirect experiences with the musical. I think we're all fans of it. And um, beyond it just being kind of delightful on its own, right? And uh, the cast included Christian Borle, right? Noted Broadway star Christian Borle. Um, and uh, the composer Alan Minken uh, was was present and sharing some you know delightful anecdotes of wow. putting the show together and things like that. And played piano and sang um, Somewhere That's Green, which was actually like not that great, actually, because he's not a good singer. <laughs> um, but, you know, just special in its own right. I mean, he, 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 can, he can do it, right? Who's going to say no to Alan Minken doing it? Um, it, it also, of course, uh, brought back very fond memories of seeing the stage show off Broadway, I think in 2019. Um, and um, that was a delirious night on Broadway. So much fun. Um, you know, the, the movie, I, I think most people listening to this have probably seen the movie Little Shop of Horrors, which is uh, great fun and uh, very entertaining uh, in its own right, right? It was Steve Martin, the dentist, and just everything else is kind of, you know, blown out to cartoon-like proportions. And, of course, the, the Audrey II animatronic. Um, but then seeing it all on stage, right, especially um, the flesh-eating plant, uh, uh, the star of the show, really, um, was uh, just transformative, um, kind of rapturous in did, a way that did, you really did a good puppet show to be. Oh, oh, did they have a good puppet? I mean, it was, it was, I just, I remember it being feeling huge. It helped that the stage was not big, right? It was not one of those cavernous Broadway theaters. Um, It was um, more intimate. I'd say maybe like three quarters the size of like, you know, um, something like uh, at the larger end of Broadway, maybe half, half the size of like a very large Broadway stage. And it just like kind of took over the whole thing by the end, uh, by the end of the show. Um, And just like, you know, forced you to pay attention to it and all its grotesque, grotesque glory um so yeah like you know there's, there's a lot of that going on in, in this household um you know because we're so tired after putting the kids down and taking care of, of house and things like that like um, mustering the energy to watch an hour or two of something sometimes just we, we can't we can't do it we can't pull it together but watching something 20 minutes on youtube is kind of perfect in that regard so we'll put a link to that in the show notes for you to all to enjoy that is the uh, the current cast of broadway um, the broader production of Little Shop of Horrors, the NPR Tiny Desk concert. Um, did Matter Pete? Did I even get to see it? The thing that I posted to her Slack? No, I didn't. I didn't uh, get a chance to look at it, but it sounds it sounds incredible. You know, you know, I I in my twenties, I was a, a roving itinerant high school theater director, and I directed a production of Little I Shop of Horrors. I saw that production. Oh, you came, that, oh, yeah, yes, you guys were so you guys were so nice. You came from New York. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, you guys traveled for like three hours to come see my, my, uh, little... I mean, Matt, we didn't have kids. We had a lot of free time. <laughs> we didn't have much else better to do. We were... I guess so. Yeah. It's... But it was also good. Don't diminish it. It was, it was an good. act of de- friendship devotion. Also real that. friendship. Yes, also like that. real, yeah. real yeah. kindness. Yeah. Uh, I, I really love, I really love that musical. I think the songs are you know, are truly wonderful. Like a lot of those uh Alan Menken, Howard Ashman songs, like just just great. And and just there there it's a, it's something actually we we talked about with the Eurovision Song Contest the America Vision, the American Song Contest. God, too many song contests, too much brain fog. Um the uh when we you know when we sort of wrapped up and posted our video video review of the the final, you know, songs kind of the the 
the thing that makes a song a classic is that it is, I think the way I put it in the video is it's re- resilient to interpretation, you know, and mm. it actually provides, it provides a canvas on which other people can, can sort of can paint. You can think of songs that you love by like, you know, popular musicians where, um, the song is so identified with the person that like you kind of couldn't imagine a lot of uh, covers of it. it. A lot of the the catalog of of my beloved Tori Amos, who I'm going to see on three consecutive nights in Los Angeles, uh, round about my birthday time, um, is uh, you know is like this where you, you just can't really imagine people covering it, and and she's not you know nearly as covered as as some other artists of her, of her vintage, you know, um, especially now that I guess the nineties are back or have been back or they were back and now they're gone again, but are back again. I don't know. It seems like, it seems like I see a lot. Uh, it seems like I see a lot of stuff from the nineties. The nineties are like a Taurus where it's like topologically they're back, but sometimes in the middle, I don't know. I actually don't try to graph how, what that would look like. Like what sort of rotational system allows the nineties to leave and come back so often over such a short period of time. Um, astrophysicists sound off in the comments. Sorry, continue, man. <laughs> there was a there was a uh, a lion menacing a, a community that lived in the forest, and they didn't know what to do. But the lion in uh, it's all association to the Taurus, the shape of the Taurus, to the oh, yeah. you know, uh, they didn't know what to do. Uh, so they called a uh, a biologist. Um, come you know, come into our forest, track our uh, track this lion and uh, ferocious lion that is menacing our village, and you know, save us all. And uh, the biologist came, studied the migratory patterns, and found the the droppings, and did the you know survey, but couldn't help, couldn't find the lion, couldn't couldn't track it. Uh, called a hunter. You know, all right, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we, we tried to do this humanely, but we gotta just do this, you know, hunter lay in wait for days, you know, waiting for the lion to come in a blind, uh, so that he could shoot the lion, uh, was unsuccessful. So they called a topologist. The topologist came, uh, into the center of the forest, bearing only a flatbed truck on which was a cage. The topologist stopped the truck, got in the cage, locked the lock and said, I've caught it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, a coffee cup is a donut, you know, a certain certain level of abstraction. (laughs) You'll be a topologist. Be a topologist. You have a talent for boring people dead. You'll be a topologist. I feel like we we misread the briefing document where this was going to be a topical podcast because now it's a topological podcast. Um, Yeah, so the songs are really resilient to interpretation, is what I, I mean to say. And they're like, they are, they kind of go in and out of context also. They could be good in cabaret, they could be good on. You know, somewhere that's green is just a nice ballad. Uh, it's a little funny. It's a little silly. The the lyrics are parodic, but the the um, you know, I don't know the the sentiment of it is is something like universal, and and the construction of it is uh, you know, is wonderful. And um, yeah, the the and just the 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 thing with the the trio, the girl group is um, uh. Is just a wonderful, 
wonderful kind of storytelling innovation with the Greek, the doo-wop Greek chorus and, and that stuff like that. I really love that. I uh, really love that show. We, we should, we, we had toyed with the idea of doing an episode uh, about it and m- maybe we should uh, in the future. I'll say, Mark, I don't know if you recall this, but in, in my production, one of the, one of the problems with directing plays in high school is that you need parts for everybody. Cause like no one's, this was a situation where like no one was not going to be in the show, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, um, you know, uh, I actually added a male trio to the girl group trio. So there was a, there was a like temptation style doo-wop group. And there was a, there was a Ronettes style doo-wop group, Uh, you know, and then you could do like back, you know, back and forth with their, you know, they could dance together or they could like trade off courses of something. And it was, it, it involved more people and, and added texture that I thought was not, you know, deleterious to the intent of the, uh, intent to the authors of the show. But the, so the thing I wanted to say is that with the scripts from MTI and, you know, all, they all, you all rent your, your orchestral parts, your scripts, your score books, all those things come from one publisher who has a, you know, monopoly on, on, all the big musicals for high school theaters. Um, they also had a plant, uh, which was four puppets, small, medium, large, and XL. You know, and, uh, the smallest one, a, a puppet that sat on a table and someone like uh, operated it, like moving their fingers in a pincher like motion. The second one, a hand puppet, uh, the, the third slightly larger and the fourth, um, a, a man sized, you know, we actually like none of the kids could lift it. So we had to get like, we had to get a guy, uh, (laughs) in, in retrospect, this guy was like, you know, it was an alum, an alumnus of the high school, but was like hanging around a lot. I don't know. Uh, but like, uh, we, had to like get that guy to go in and like you know operate the um operate the the giant puppet and they were all made to look just like the puppet from the movie and i feel like that's a that's a missed opportunity uh a little bit to you know i i don't know to to let some creativity show so was was the the puppet in the the current off-broadway production was it like reimagined in some way i mean did it do things that that were different from or beyond the movie? I recall it being pretty similar to what we saw in the movie. Like, I don't, I, I hear you, Matt, like, um, but the, the, that, that plant, the design and the image is so iconic, mm. right? That like it inhibits my own imagination, at least in this moment of thinking what else you could possibly do with it. I mean, like, cause you need like, you know, a very large mouth. Like that is like, that is essential, right. To the mechanics of the show. Um, and, uh, also because the, the plant has such, you know, impressive singing and, and spoken parts. Right. And so you, once you start to work backwards from there, that does limit your options quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like Matt, that was your, you know, you, you had posited this, <laughs> this, this possibility, like, you know, where would you like to take the plant? Well, I, oh yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like it's supposed to be, it's referred to, I guess, in the script as a kind of Venus flytrap. And that is, you know, I, I guess that gives you certain things. What if they looked more, what if it looked more like the fauna from, uh, sorry, the flora from, uh, from Pandora in, in Avatar or something like that? I mean, what if it had an, a much more alien look, uh, from, um, you know, from being from outer space, I think, uh, I think I think it's from outer space, right? 
What if the yeah, yeah. he's a mean mad mother from outer space and he's bad, right? Isn't that so yeah? That was added to the film, by the way. There's this. There's a. <laughs> there's a different song. The uh, um, the musical ends with the plant victorious and uh, a you know an epilogue called "Don't Feed the Plants." Uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was you know really cleaned up and made made happy for kids when they made the when they when they made the the film of it. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. Like maybe maybe uh, maybe you could do something these days with like projections or or uh, holograms or something like that. I I'm not sure if that's um, I'm not sure if that would be desirable or or fun, but I. You know, it's it's certainly certainly worth a try. I don't know. I I yeah. like uh, I like I like the idea that you know when you sit down to do a new production of things, you're not just there to give people what is familiar, but you're there to kind of illuminate the material in some some new way. Uh, though I I suppose that's too idealistic of me. If you want people to no, to fork, I don't think so. if you want people it, to fork over their eight thousand dollars for theater, whatever theater tickets cost yeah. these days, they you gotta give them give the people what they want. I mean, I'll just say this. I like the idea. Um, I'll leave it to someone else to do the research on this because I did a Google image search for Venus flytrap, and uh, I know what I'm having nightmares about tonight. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> there, there was a comment on our Eurovision review of Serbia. One of the the topics of the Eurovision Serbia song is how the independent contractors, which includes artists like you know uh, and singers, um, don't get health insurance under uh, Serbia's part partially public. Uh, health insurance plan and um you know the singer of the the singer of the the serbian entry to eurovision is a little salty about this uh and so the someone on our on our uh youtube video posted you know it's a good thing that they don't give health insurance to artists in serbia because this will force the artists to make things that a lot of people actually want to see and and uh, not do their you know flights of fancy. Not was the implication. Not do their you know uh, uh, echo chamber, um, the alienating and confounding uh, artsy fartsy works. But uh, instead, will give us some really good, really good uh, crowd pleasing work. Like uh, I I don't know what what uh, like um, Independence Day or you know I don't know what. <laughs> Are the Koch brothers posting on our YouTube page? <laughs> what the heck? Oh my gosh. But this this was an actual human being wrote, uh, an actual watcher of Eurovision uh, <laughs> wrote this, criticizing art on the grounds that it is insufficiently popular. Uh, an actual fan of the Eurovision Song Contest. I would yeah, guess I just, that a majority of, of, of uh, citizens living in uh, Eurovision competing countries uh, have some form of socialized medicine, right? Like that's, um, uh, it, it is surprising. I, I'm that's still right, but, a little bit floored. But thank goodness, Mark, thank goodness the artists don't have that, right? Right, right, right. right. I Knight, mean, now I just I yeah. want to see the Serbian uh, production of Little Shop of Horrors, which would probably <laughs> combine all the talent of all the Serbian artists with uh, with that crowd-pleasing, you know, tried and true uh, sort of uh, performance style. And then they could get health insurance if they do that. Right. Is that the um, is the is the is it is it just not is the, like the events in Little Shop of Horrors are just too plausible for everyday Serbia for it to be like a real wow factor <laughs> musical. So I can make a Nikola Jokic uh, joke, but I won't because I can't figure it out. I mean, I, I, 
I guess that the, there is a flaw in the logic that says, um, you know, people will do really, you know, kind of user friendly, crowd pleasing works of art if you uh, what extort them with health insurance by uh, uh, just the, the you know this this uh, premise is given a lot by the the fact that uh, Serbia is the country that produced performance artist Marina Abramovich. Uh, who, you know, I don't know, you can say a lot of things about her work, but it, it certainly is not uh, mainstream, I guess. I well, I say. mean, to, if we want to address the question, we don't even want to address the, the question seriously, I guess. Um, but I mean, I would suggest that most artists who are in an arrangement where they get health insurance, even in a European country, would generally be part of some sort of public art program. And the public art program, by virtue of being like operated by a government entity, would have its own pressures for what to produce and would have its own influence over the artist's decisions on what to make. Like just because you're I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm totally off base here. But my understanding is that just because you're funded as an artist doesn't make mean that you get to do whatever you want with like no consideration for what your audience would actually like. And in fact, being part of a large institution constrains you quite a bit something like you know i mean like if you're if you're part of like the national opera yeah you might be able to go out there and do an experimental opera but you're probably not going to be doing little shop floors right like and 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 what you do and whether it's popular or unpopular might not really have to do with the moral hazard of the risk associated with your performance as much as the fact that if your money isn't coming from the market it's coming from somewhere and that place is still going to have interests Right. So like the interests of the market, it, it just gets complicated, I guess. Right. It's like I don't think that it's it's just, oh, well, if we just don't if we just make things harder for people, they'll be they'll, things will be better. Um, and it's also just like it's not easy street to be a publicly funded artist. Right. Like, you know, we're not sure. all like that guy who lived in Johnny Johnny Depp's penthouse that we all met during the trial. Right. And like, uh, did you see that guy? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like that's a sweetheart deal. I mean. You know, people concerned of the moral hazard that he's not making like popularly accessible work. Well, is that yeah. like a big loss, <laughs> right? Like that, that guy is, I don't think so. I don't think so. But anyway, um, but you know, there is, yeah. there is one, one, uh, uh, artist who I think, you know, makes uh popular crowd pleasing works that we all can enjoy. And that artist is Channing Tatum. Ooh, <laughs> now wait, has someone been magicking? Has someone been having a, a magical mic? Is is Magic Mike your Sorcerer Supreme, Matt? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, so instead of watching Multiverse of, of Madness, we you know set up a uh, like a couch based uh, you know mo- sick it's illness movie marathon, uh, and had a little Channing Tatum marathon at home, and it was uh, it was delightful, guys. It had a um, uh, well, it was. Please don't tell me you watched Dear John. No, you sir. watched your John. Oh, no, thank no, no. God. No. That's a flashback for me. Ah, there's a joke. Yeah, give, give us the rundown, Matt. What'd you watch? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so we watched new, all new Channing Tatum uh, films. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're, they're making Channing Tatum films. So we watched a Sandra Bullock Channing Tatum uh, thing from Peacock called The Lost City. Oh, that looked oh, good. That looked, that yeah. Looked that looked fun. fun. Was that, uh, please tell me that was fun. It was all right. Yeah. All right, uh, okay. Starring Harry Potter as like an evil, basically the the role that Harry Potter plays in uh, Now You See Me Two, uh, Now You See Me Clearer. They um, 
uh, plays the same role in the uh, in the the Lost City uh, Lost City one. But it's you know it's interesting for for a different reason, which I'll say. And then uh, I watched Dog. Uh, were you guys familiar with Dog? Were you, is that the was... sequel to Pig? <laughs> no, but is that, really is, wanna... is, that, is that a spinoff from Jupiter Ascending, where oh. Channing Tatum plays a dog-like character? Is that a biopic of a famous bounty hunter? <laughs> it's Let's none keep of... coming up with premises. <laughs> yeah, it's none of it's none of those things. But I do love this. The gritty game. reboot of Homeward Bound: The Incredible Journey. It, it is indeed a gritty oh. reboot of Homeward Bound: <laughs> The Incredible Journey. Uh, they. they um, you know, Channing Tatum uh, plays a former U.S. Army Ranger who... I was uh, really hoping you were going to say he plays a dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, the dog is actually played by a dog. Oh, okay. Uh, Fair who, um, you know, is, uh, you know, is forced to uh, not be a, a Army Ranger anymore because of a traumatic brain injury and uh, is dealing with his sort of new civilian identity. Uh, it, it begins with... Um, him making a uh, a gas station sandwich in his role as a, a sandwich artist, or is that a trademark of the the Subway Corporation? As uh, it, as his role as a you know sandwich artiste, and this is you know supposed to um, represent his I don't know his fall from from the the heady days of uh, you know being in this this elite military organization and and uh he uh he needs i don't know he needs something there's a MacGuffin. in order to get the MacGuffin, he has to uh drive a a traumatized dog bomb sniffing dog across uh the country to be at the funeral of uh of another ranger who um i think it who has died and i think in the 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 film you learn that that uh this ranger took his life his own life and so he's uh the 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 you know he's supposed to be the dog's handler but really in the end the dog ended up being his handler um and uh you know it's obviously sort of sentimental and uh manipulative it doesn't stand up to a ton of scrutiny and if you saw our homeward bound the incredible if you listen to our homeward bound the incredible journey podcast uh you know you will know that i weeped unreservedly through the entire uh through the entire thing and the 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 pure heart of the dog uh was you know is uh was wonderful lost city um <sighs> There's been a couple films like this, right? The Rock and Ryan Reynolds made one that was called Red Notice or Blue Outfit or Green Sky or I, I don't know. It was called Red something. Notice, right? You're red talking notice. about Red Notice. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, and th- it was another thing. It was kind of like an adventure movie, you know, PG thirteen adventure movie, um, a list talent on a streaming service. I don't know. Like, did did you guys watch Red Notice? It just seemed like there was something there was something missing. Like, there all the missions impossible and all the all the fasts and the furious. Like, have have like an X factor that it seemed like the the Red Notice and the Lost City didn't have. So you know, it was it was it was nice. Like Sandra Bullock was great. Uh, Channing Tatum was good. Uh, Brad Pitt shows up. He's in the trailers. That's not a spoiler. Brad Pitt sh- in, shows up in it for a minute. He's wonderful. He's he's so good. Um, and uh, and 
you know, I don't know, Christina and I were watching it and she turned to me and she said, you know, how you're always going on and on about how, uh, how, you know, Tom Cruise is like a real movie star and they just don't make them, uh, just don't make them anymore. And I was like, well, you know, I wouldn't characterize anything I say as going on and on about anything, but, uh, yes, among my, <laughs> among my m- many fascinating observations, um, she's like, same thing about this, this movie, she said in, in Brad Pitt and like the difference in, in just charisma in a sense of command of the screen between Channing Tatum and, and Brad Pitt was she observed uh market, you know, and it's not that they're both not good looking, not sort of charismatic in their way, but like Brad Pitt just brings something to the, to his, you know, sort of cameo role in, uh, in the lost city. Uh, and I, I don't know. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good, that was a good observation. Um, yeah, but it's good. I don't know. You'll you'll enjoy it. I enjoyed my Channing Tatum. I enjoyed my Channing Tatum movie movie marathon. My my illness uh, inspired Channing Tatum marathon. Matt, are you familiar with a little film called Romancing the Stone? Oh God, it's, been, it's been since the eighties since I've seen it, but it was like it, one. Yeah, it's, is it, is it's it not a similar mold. premise? Yeah. Right, romance author um, gets uh, swept away to a far off locale. And, uh, and deals with danger and uh, you know a, yeah in a real a yeah, strapping lad to rescue rescue yeah, her in a real adventure yes yeah it's it's, it's the same premise okay, as I mean, that just to be clear, that's that's a, that's a plus in in my book Romancing the Stone is uh it, it still holds up I mean mostly and I think, certainly certainly like one or two or three or four problematic elements <laughs> I haven't but, seen uh, it since since the eighties before we learned that things could be problematic um, the but in in the eighties, it was one of those movies that like the, the parents would let us watch by and large, you know. And it was a, like an exciting movie, you know, had some action, uh, and we were, you know, it was kind of cool with everyone. It was one of those movies that like no one's parents would object to. So yeah, we we saw it on on VHS a lot. Well, Kathleen Turner is so I I, I like have vague memories of this movie, and for some reason, I always thought Sylvester Stallone was in it. Um, which is, of course, not the case at all. <laughs> so I had some, br- oh, some glitch in the Matrix. I filed this movie in the wrong place at some point. But yeah, so this is... In another universe, Pete, yes. Talk so about a cast, man. Why, why, why aren't you romancing me? Am I, am I like some kind of stone or something? <laughs> romancing Stallone is a very different thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I made you Parmesan. Oh, you're the best uh, star. Hey, Mr. Tygo. Um Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner... Danny DeVito and Kathleen is 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 Kathleen Turner uh I I hesitate to say she's the most underrated but like she's great right like she like in terms of the actresses of her generation who I feel like whenever I see her in anything I'm always like this is a really good shot of being awesome um and yet who doesn't really get talked about as one of the all-time greats um and yet at the same time is like oft recognized as being excellent um yeah i don't know kathleen turner man it's uh I, now i want to go see romancing the stone is it on any streaming services let me let me check it's i wonder if it's on, on Head Spike plus what's up it's almost certainly on hbo max that's like a um like a, a, a prototypical example yeah that's true it is, yeah you movie. can stream it on hbo max oh you can oh cool now would you put it in the same kind of oeuvre as crocodile dundee uh, you know, I gotta have something to admit, fellas. I have not seen Crocodile Dundee oh. or Paradigm, I should say. Uvra would imply that they were part of the same body of work. But I think about movies like Captain Ron, um, 
I guess that was a little later, right? Uh, another classic sort of comedy movies about clash of culture between people who are ostensibly from, you know, the city or the suburbs and then people who are from not real wilderness, right? Like crazy vine swinging nonsense place um, that uh, that sort of unlocks their buttoned up personalities to the fish out of water joys of all. Yeah. So um, you call it it's not so much uh, it's not so much touch a truck as it is touch a peck. There we go. Yes, that's, that's not a truck. This is a truck. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, Crocodile Dundee, another another one. Though I remember Crocodile Dundee being edgier uh, somehow. I don't. Is know. that a knife joke? Probably. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think of Crocodile Dundee as a family movie. Right. And you're saying Romancing the Stone is a family movie, and I don't think. And I did not think. But then I look at the cover and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was always next to Adventures in Babysitting at the video store, uh, which means they weren't alphabetizing well. But it's uh, <laughs> it's got it's got that vibe to it. Right. It's got a rope bridge. Uh, lots of good stuff. going Yeah. On. Romancing the Stone, uh, Romancing the Stone rated PG, uh, mm. Crocodile Dundee rated PG-13. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. You know, and two years later, uh, 1986 versus 1984. So after society had collapsed, yeah. and you know, you could, yeah. you could just As is Outlander. What you do if you want this sort of thing these days? Um, Outlander. I just. <laughs> uh, I thought you were just gonna let that hang because you referenced it earlier, right? Like, no, yeah, it was a callback. I didn't get, a, I didn't get a, uh, didn't get a response right away though. I thought, you know, I don't know. I, I thought, it, I thought it was funnier if it went unsaid, but. Uh, but yes, have you watched the Outlander show? Yeah, we, we started it and we kind of fell off for for whatever reason. We mm-hmm. we do like Scotland things, you know. We watch mm-hmm. um, Shetland. Uh, my my favorite of this. Sort you made of, that up. That's not a real show, is it? No, it's called Shetland. It's okay. very it's very good. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of After a Broad you know, Church. I don't know what's real anymore. Okay, that was the last show where I was like, I, "No, I would, this is a real show." I would put it in that same, you know, in that same sort of genre of the, you know, UK limited series like mm-hmm. uh, moody, atmospheric, regionally based. A lot of people Furry talking ponies that get carted to the county fair that you pet. <laughs> Does it have Shetland ponies in it or no? No, there are no there are no ponies. There there okay. have not been any pony adjacent storylines. Uh, it it generally has to do with like the fishing industry or like the oil industry. Uh, oh, okay. Those those are generally you know sources of murders more than uh, you know more than what the. Um, well, uh, did you watch to the end? The pony industry. How do you know? How do you know that the pony didn't plan at all? It's not like the Westworld times ten. Where it's all a master plan of the Shetland pony. I'm now looking at a bunch of pictures of Shetland ponies, and they're adorable. It has the the you know the like super isolated you know slightly uh, slightly inbred seeming like um, you know community with dark secrets that come to light uh, sort of sort of vibe. But it's it's anchored by really- like that Kate Winslet Pennsylvania thing that we watched. <laughs> Actually it's very similar to that yeah. Kate Winslet Pennsylvania thing. I don't know. If any if What any- was that called again? Madge? Marge? What was she called? Mab? Yeah, no. it was it was about Marge and Charge. It was a Marge and a, Char- a sequel to Charles and Charge. <laughs> What was the name of that Pennsylvania thing that we watched? Margin Mayor of East Town. Mayor, Mayor. Shetland Pony, Mayor. I should have known. Shetland Ponies are the Basset Hounds of the horse world. All right. <laughs> Throw that out there. 
Uh, probably not. They're actually fuzzy, so they're more like the Shetland Terriers of the house world. So we like uh, we like Scottish things, is my point. And so we tried Outlander, okay. and we fell off of it for no particular reason. Gotcha. Then I found five dollars. Good story, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So okay. So Kathleen Turner had a a, a long period where she did not uh, didn't work a ton. Like, did she stop to raise kids, or did she like? Did something happen in her personal life where she was just out of action for a while? I I don't know. And I yeah. don't want to say too much in case like uh something bad happened to her, but the but she seems like she's back and sort of working a lot uh more recently. Uh, Wikipedia tells me that she was uh, slowed by rheumatoid arthritis. Ah. That uh, well, put a damper on her career. Speaking of random bad things happening to people, I've been playing NetHack. Can I add that to the list of topics? <laughs> Are you familiar with NetHack boyos? I understand that it's a bad thing, but is it truly random? Uh, yeah, well, it's procedurally generated. That's the idea. <laughs> That's the idea, Matthew. That's is the it idea. also a pub? Is it also a public health hazard? Uh, less than most videos, I, video games. I think mm-hmm. I would suspect mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe it is a public health hazard. Well, there are lots of public health hazards and private health hazards in NetHack. Uh, you guys have literally no idea what I'm talking about. No, it's a it's a game from the I I remember it from like the Apple II maybe yeah yeah super old the graphics text, are text ASCII, ASCII. RPG it's right not text based it's got a graphic oh. interface but it uses ASCII oh, okay. characters uh, cool. which is adorable um, although I use a tile set because I'm lame um, but but it's a different sort of it, it's something I started playing when I started getting bored of dying in Elden Ring because uh, it's a similar sort of experience but with the music isn't as anxiety producing because there is none. Uh, and Elden Ring, if you ever played it, is like there's like a constant terror chord happening, and it just really makes my skin crawl when when you're like walking around and suddenly it's like, and then there'll just be a scream, and it's not it's not just ambient, it's just like so somebody somewhere is getting eaten by a monster, right? And it's like Jesus, why am I using my leisure time to do this? Um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the like the 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 ur plot of our whole podcast of all <laughs> 724 episodes of our podcast uh why am i using my leisure time to do this yeah and and like uh so it's funny because i bought a fancy new graphics card to be able to play nethack uh, to be able to play to play elden ring and now i'm playing nethack uh which you know d- doesn't need graphics at all pretty much it could operate on a terminal on a uh, you could probably run it on a uh, an old radar machine if you got it co- you know compiled correctly or whatever but it's a procedurally generated rpg along in, in the sort of old dungeons and dragons tradition where you start with a different character each time it's permadeath if you die once, the game is over and you have to start over. Um, and you have to venture down ostensibly 20 floors of a evil dungeon, the Dungeon of Doom, in search of the Amulet of Yendar, uh, uh, surrounded by all manner of uh, you know randomly generated hazards that can kill you in countless numbers of ways. Um, but it's turn-based entirely, so you can sort of sit and think, and, and then you kind of move your way through it. And anytime you find loot, you don't know what it is. So like the the uh, the items are identified by their properties. So it's like oh that's a that's a, a tin wand. Oh that's a clay ring, right? Uh, but in each game, those properties are associated with a different type of the item, and there's so many kinds that you know you really have to like 
learn the whole thing to have even a guess of what it would be. Uh, but a lot of them kill you. And so like you could, you know, oh, drink this potion up, oh, you know, you've, you've turned to stone or like you're hallucinating. Uh, so it has that sort of uh, Elder Scrolls vibe of like, I'm going to die many, many times. Um, and, but, but the dungeon is generated differently each time. What you find is constrained, you know, like oh, it's like for certain things on certain floors at certain levels. Um, but it's, it's, it's been both harrowing and peaceful. And I guess it's just been an interesting experience to play a video game with no audio. Maybe that's the main thing that I just wanted to share about it because I guess I've just, I'm be, I'm doing better now. I'm joking that I have COVID, but, but for a little bit, I was in, you know, not rough shape, but I wasn't feeling very well. And I was certainly exhausted because I, you know, my whole family was sick and I tried to care for people while you're also sick is tough. Um, and there's just so much associated with all this stuff that like just playing this game where all of the hazard is in the sort of theater of the mind and there's not even music to associate it with it was it was sur- it's surreal. It's almost like you're doing work, you know, you're like sitting there and you're like typing and, and there's the different each. There's so many commands. You use the entire keyboard multiple times over using like control and alt and whatever or shift to to kind of dictate what it is that you do in this world. Um, but there's a real piece to like venturing slowly into this dungeon and, and kind of bravely encountering all the things that you find within it and be, provided that nobody's yelling at you. It's just nice. It's just, it's just, it's just strange. And I just wanted to share that experience. I, I've not gotten deep enough into it to really, really give you a ton of critique and maybe that'll be a peak cast in the future. But uh, old games, man. I mean, Matt, you would play lots of the text adventure games. We've talked about that before on the podcast, I think. The old Back in the day, but I was, I was in, I was like an, in, I was a prepubescent kid. I was not good at them, you know, and I, mm, I couldn't yeah, like, yeah. I couldn't do some of the, uh, the abstract thinking, you know, kind of some of the meta puzzle solving. And there were some brutal ones. I think we talked about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. Infocom game, which was brutal which was like it it would let you get to the end of the game without one crucial item that you needed to do previously and you can and and that was like it that way you know and you couldn't win you were just yeah. stuck there in limbo anyway it was, uh, it was a rough time you know yeah, yeah but i love that i mean i love that sort of i like it described as a theater of the mind when i ran a um yeah. when i ran a, a world war four bbs out of a old um you know, compact 8086 lug along computer on the, the floor of my childhood bedroom. Okay. Now you're making up all sorts of stuff. First you made up that Shetland show, which isn't real. And now you're making, what's a lug along BBS. I don't know what that is. There's a, a proto proto laptop, um, a, uh, a computer the size of a briefcase or maybe two briefcases together, but that had one handle, uh, that, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put some pictures in the show notes. They, they, it was charming. And I, I had an old one that was a hand me down, I think for my dad and I put a bulletin board system, uh, software on it. And that's where I learned to program. Really. It was written in C and you got the source code. You could buy the source code and recompile it and, you know, add things and change them. And it was pretty cool. Uh, it was called world war four WWIV, the uh, world war four BBS software. And I ran it, got a, my, my mom got me a second phone line and I ran a BBS out of my, uh, out of my house for a number of years in, in the 310 area code. You know, it was a. So, this I, is the stuff that like Ferris Bueller would be doing, sort of. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I put a, uh, I put a like a user generated. You could like write it, you could edit it, but like multi user dungeon type of uh, game on it. And oh. you know, we we created what you know. I don't know what was funny to us at the time like the fart room or something but like yeah, you know yeah. you know I, <laughs> which, there are two ways out of the fart room but only one you really want to go uh the, <laughs> um yeah it was uh it was uh delightful i really love that that i love how literary that era of you know computer culture is and i yeah. i really appreciate that I tried to write a game like that in like GW basic at one point. I must've been like 14 years old or something. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was the game design was terrible because it was just like random choices and many of them. And like one of them would, would you would survive and then the others would all kill you in like theatrical and like detailed ways. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's called the dungeon of doom, which of course I didn't know was already a thing many times over. Um, But yeah, Mark, did you ever make a, a quixotic dungeon program? To, for other people to enjoy that maybe, you know, never took off. I might have dabbled with it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've definitely played those sorts of games. And I was just thinking like that, that also, you know, the, the theater of the mind idea um, really resonated with me. And I'm thinking about my recent foray back into video games where like mm. my, uh, my tolerance for expository, anything, even spoken dialogue uh, to say nothing at all of just a wall of text has collapsed. <laughs> to nothing. Oh yeah. Like yeah. mission briefings is just like skip, 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 skip. <laughs> <laughs> like just make my eyeballs bleed with cutting edge 3D <laughs> graphics. That's what I'm here for. Well, well is, speak- is, I, I miss it a little bit, but maybe not that much. Speaking of the full embrace of the visual medium, I heard some excellent, wonderful news today, which is that we're not we need some of that. I think we all need that. It was a couple days ago, which is that, uh, the Jordan's Furniture IMAX, which is the biggest movie theater, as far as I know, at one point, the biggest and most technologically advanced movie theater in New England, which is about 15 minutes from where I live, and was like not a trivial thing that I was happy about when I moved to this place, which has, of course, been closed through all of COVID. This is like a giant laser 4K movie theater at a furniture store that I think we've talked about in the podcast before. It's been closed since COVID began. Uh, people didn't know whether it was coming back. It is reopening for Top Gun Maverick. Yes. And and I am yes. like and, and it is just this palpable, this just like deep and sort of like nourishing feeling, like like dumping out a, a ba- plastic bag of fresh potting soil onto a bunch of neglected <laughs> plants and just being like, I don't know what this is doing, but it has to be good, right? And it's like just like this sense of nourishment uh, of plenty, right? It feels like it, it is uh it can be conceived of again. I, I am like so at peace with the idea of how happy I will be if I if I get to see this movie in this movie theater. Oh, and I'm sorry, I, I hope. Sure. I mean, we're going to do Top Gun Maverick opening weekend, right? Like that's our plan as long as Lord Willing and the Creek don't rise here. Um, well, I think Matt has another engagement, but um, oh. we'll, we'll if not opening weekend, then very soon thereafter. Okay, fair. Yeah, enough. within a couple weeks, definitely. But but uh, I I do know. Yeah, my college reunion is that weekend, Pete, and so it's, it's oh, gonna be a, right, 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 right. But right. Uh, you know, the, laser four K and his butt kickers—they have subwoofers under the seat. <sighs> Move you when you do it. Sponsored I, by the upholstery company that you sit on. <laughs> I, I know, I know what you're going to say, Pete, when you walk into that movie theater. Your throat will open and your cheeks will puff out, and you will say, "Big, <laughs> it's so big. <laughs> <laughs> movie theater's so big." <laughs> 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 
Big puffy Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, big. <laughs> All right, this Remember is Remember when they oh, made movie stars big? <laughs> <laughs> it's a real movie star. He's big. This has been the Overthinking <laughs> Podcast. Thank you for bearing with us in our multiverse. <laughs> Uh, this has uh, been a delight to talk to you guys. Uh, thanks to Mark and Pete for podcasting with me. We'll be back with more Overthinking It podcast uh, next week. Who knows whether we can, whether we'll ever see movies again. But uh, we we will record podcasts again. And uh, until then, you can find us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.